to Boston Confidential, Bean Towns, True Crime Podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail in Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey guys, thanks for returning to Boston Confidential. My name is Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator in Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to give me a call at Impact. And if I can't help you personally, I can certainly direct you to the proper individual or agency. All right, guys, we're back with it today. This is part two of the Susan Taraskowitz case. Boston Confidential got a huge jump in the first portion of this podcast relating to Susan Taraskowitz. There's a ton of interest in this case, and I don't think I've done this case a service by not mentioning enough that there is a $250,000 reward that is still active in this case. And all you have to do is provide information that leads to a conviction and your conscience will feel good and your wallet will feel even better. The second part of the Susan Traskowitz case is going to focus on an interview I just conducted with Susan's mother, Marlene Traskowitz. I'd also like to take this opportunity to say thank you to Deb Traskowitz Almonte, who is uh, Susan Traskowitz's sister and naturally Marlene's other daughter. I did learn something within my interview with Marlene Traskowitz, and that was the fact that about two years ago, there was another grand jury impaneled, a federal murder grand jury in this case. They didn't come to a true bill in this case, so there were no indictments. But in this interview, Marlene's going to tell you that she still speaks to the FBI on about a monthly basis. So there's hope in this case. And if you know anything about what happened to Susan Taraskowitz just outside of Logan Airport in 1992, there's $250,000 with your name on it, okay? That's life-changing. And the guys who did it, you don't owe them anything. They're murderers. All right, guys, we're going to stop at a break here. And after the break, we're going to come right into our interview with Marlene Taraskowitz. All right, I'll see you on the other side. Are you a local or international law firm that needs accurate, comprehensive, and timely background investigations and litigation support? Let Impact Due Diligence Investigations do the legwork. If there's information you need for a case, we'll find it. When you need to know, call Impact. Visit us at impactduediligence.com. My name is Barry McGuire, and this is Boston Confidential. Today, we're joined by Marlene Taraskowitz, who's Susan Taraskowitz's mom, and she has been a steadfast advocate for Susan in this case since this happened. And I really admire her. And Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Molly, can you tell us a little bit about that federal grand jury that happened like two years ago? I'm totally in the dark on that. And I think most of our listeners would be as well. Well, two years ago, the state told me that there was nothing more they could do at this time to go forward on Susan's case. I was not happy with that. I got in touch with the FBI and one special prosecutor and asked if there was any way that he could help me 
continue with Susan's case. He told me there was no problem that he would get on it. For two years, they had a grand jury. I believe there was probably close to 100 people they brought in. I also believe that they know who did this or who's involved with it. But when we met, they just said they weren't going to go forward and prosecute after the two years. I believe that they're not doing that because they need to prove intent. At this time, I think maybe they don't have it. So that's why they wouldn't go forward. I was not happy. I told them, even if you went forward and we got second or third degree, I would be happy with that because someone needs to be held responsible for Susan's murder. And we need to get justice for her. I wholeheartedly agree. Have you had any inclination as to were these the same suspects during the other grand juries, the credit card grand jury and the previous state and federal grand juries? Are we still looking at the same cast of characters, Mr. Brooks, Mr. Nuzio? Well, I know the same people that were in the state grand jury were brought back into the federal grand jury. I do know that a lot of the same people were brought in the same to the federal as we're in the state. Okay. Like Joe Nuzzo and people like that. Okay. So it's basically the same set of characters. Has the U.S. attorney stated that there's new information? Is that why we're coming to a relatively new grand jury now? Well, you know, they don't tell the family a lot of that because they don't know who we talk to. They don't want certain things to get out. So they don't really tell us that. They just say that They've got some new information or they haven't gone forward anymore or things like that. But they don't really tell us things that we want to know. Right. And I'm sorry, but you must have really got your hopes up when you learned that this was coming to grand jury again. Yes, I did. I really thought that at least they would indict someone. And whether we won or not, you know, first degree, I thought we would get something and somebody would be held responsible. During those first grand juries, Marlene, they seem to be making a tremendous amount of progress. Well, they had Mr. Brooks. He testified against those guys in the credit card case. And I believe he was called before the murder grand jury. And to be frank, I thought this guy was going to give up the ghost on everybody. Do you have any idea what happened with Mr. Brooks and his testimony? Well, Let me go back a little bit and say that the first time we knew what was happening with this credit card scam, it was when it came out big in the paper. Nuzzle's name was there, a few others about what they did. We sat down with Susan and asked her if she knew about it. She said no. At that time is when we learned about the harassment when she was going through. We had no idea what she was going through. When we asked her, why do you think you're being harassed? She said, because I was the new female supervisor. And her father asked her, why haven't you told us? She said, because of what they were doing to me and how bad it was, I was afraid for you. So she wouldn't tell him so he could go over to the airport and confront them. But I believe the first 12 years, speaking for myself, that Nothing was really done 
to help Susan's case. I believe that they kept passing it from one person in charge to another. Every time I asked what happened, what was going on, well, we don't have much. We don't have much of this. We don't. And then they would move on to some other position. I couldn't get anywhere for the first 12 months. One of my main questions were, was there a conversation between Joe Nuzzo and Bobby Brooks the night she went out of the lunchroom? Another question was, why didn't you trace the phone call that you got that lured her out of the lunchroom? I was told many times by law enforcement it couldn't happen. Up until 12 years later, when a Lieutenant Flaherty said to me, Mrs. Taraskowitz, it could have been traced at least up to six months. My Susan was tracing all the phone calls that came into our house. Why wouldn't they have done that? It would have told a lot. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Have you ever heard anything about DNA in this case? Because when I look at the suspects here, and I do wholeheartedly believe that this case is directly connected to the credit card case, it's kind of delicate, but is this suspect DNA? Have you ever heard anything about that? Because I feel like these goofballs could not commit the perfect murder. There has to be some type of evidence transfer there, no? Well... When asked that question, they say, well, that's not things we really can tell you now. And, you know, sometimes they're so good at cleaning up their mess that, you know, they hide everything. But I want to say this, and I have some questions for people, even you. I believe this has been a cover-up with law enforcement at the beginning. Now, there is one trooper that supposedly was helping Susan. She knew him out of the work through co-workers and that. He told her, anytime you have a problem, he gave her his card. He said to her, come to me. Every time she was being harassed or the filth was written about her, the picture of the casket was on her locker, the urinating in her locker. She went to him and told him, I have a question for all of you. Should have the harassment got less and not worse? The harassment got worse for her. It didn't get better. When I stood over the airport for 21 years back and forth asking all these people who said, I loved her. She was so nice. She was friendly. She was giving. She was a wonderful boss. Why don't they come forward? Nobody did. This same law enforcement came to me one day as I was standing there and said to me, Mrs. Taraskowitz, why don't you stop coming here? I then went to the U.S. attorney and said to him, what kind of person would say that to a mother trying to find out who murdered her daughter, let alone law enforcement? This same law enforcement officer is the one who identified her. I mean, their police officer, who wasn't even on duty that morning, whose brother worked under Susan, threatened to kill her many times, is the one that opened the trunk of the car. I'm sorry, but these are questions that bother me. If you're going to help her, where was the help that she was supposed to be getting? Right. It seems like she was let down on every level, first with the harassment, by her union. Correct. 
Second, by the other men who she worked with. Why did one of these guys step up and cold cock this newso? And it would have shut that whole goddamn problem down. Well, I also believe, and like I say, these are my own opinions. I believe that this started with Northwest Airlines, with Joe Nuzzo and all of them. But I believe this was in the airport for a long time. If it started going outside, it was in the airport for a long time with many, many other people over that airport involved. That's my feeling. Do you mean the harassment or the stealing? The stealing. I have stuck with the credit card scam from day one. I have always stayed there with it. But I think from what I listened to people over the years, how many that never worked over there said to me, do you realize, Marlene, this is all the, the airport involved? That's all I've heard about. 28 years that right. it's mostly the whole airport is involved. Right. And it wasn't until 12 years ago when we have Lieutenant Bob Murphy, who was just looking over the case and then got in the case, that we have made progress. He has worked hard in this case and he works hard in every case, not just mine, but he has worked very hard and has brought this to where it is. Right. It seems like we got to kind of charge these guys and let them flip on each other and let the chips flow where they may. Well, I agree with you that it stopped abruptly. And it was, well, there was nothing more we can do. We couldn't go and indict. We didn't know. But it stopped too fast. And I agree with you. If it was credit card scam, it should have kept going. Right. And I think that was the FBI's responsibility. When was the last time you had any conversation or contact with the FBI on this case? Just about a month ago. Is there anything new that you can divulge or are they, do they simply tell me? No, they just tell me as of right now, they are still, if anything comes up, work on the case, you know, and go forth and check it out. But as of right now, this is all they have and they're not ready to go into a court of law. Right. At a certain point, you got to let it go or, or these people aren't going to be around anymore. I know I'm not going to let it go. And I know I call Susan's detective at least twice a week now that we have let everybody know that there is a $250,000 reward. That was gone for a while. Right. And two years ago, I got that back through Delta and they were more than happy to honor it. And I'm not going away. So right. at this time, with everything going on, $250,000 is a lot of money. Yes, it is. And it would help a lot. So you never know what you know. The littlest thing might trigger it right now. Right. And I wish they'd kind of publicize that a little bit more, that there's a quarter million dollar reward in this, because these people around this nexus of harassment know what happened. Some people outside the circle know who did this. Absolutely. A quarter of a million dollars may be a great way to have them speak about it. Well, like I say, this is the time. And what I also want to say is for all those people that have a daughter or granddaughter, I hope every time you look into their beautiful eyes, you see my beautiful daughter, Susan. And for all those that told me how much you loved her, what a great person, how friendly, what a good boss, think about it. 
it's time to give her the justice she deserves. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. Has anybody else in this case come forward with information or is it all on total lockdown? I mean, that you're aware of. I know sometimes the police know things and like you say, they can't come to you directly. But has anybody involved in this like surprised you with new information or anything like that? Well, I've been told in the last 15 years that people have come forward and they check it out. But again, they don't tell me who and actually what it is, because like you say, you never know who you're talking about. It gets out there and they take off and then you can't get them. So I have to go along with the way the investigation is. And when I don't like what's going on, I do really voice my opinion. Right. No, I'm sure you do. I I think everybody that's listened to any of your interviews know that you're not going to be stopped on this case. Definitely not. You know, I wish, yes, that my Susan quit the job, but I understand why she didn't. She fought hard to get to that position. It was a position that she wanted for a long time. She was a very, very smart girl, smarter than most of the men that she worked with and proved that. She also took the test for a firefighter's exam. The lowest you could get was 70. She got a 99.17. I think that tells a lot about it. I think so. I think some of your toughness rubbed off on your daughter Susan as well. Well, my Susan would be doing the same thing for me or any member of her family. Can I just take you back to 1992? This horrendous occurrence happens, and you finally get to a grand jury, first for the credit cards and then for the murder investigation. Had you ever found out if Robert Brooks his whereabouts ever been ascertained. He claimed originally that he was in Minnesota working and hadn't spoken to Nuzo in several months at a minimum. But the FBI investigated that further and found out he wasn't at work in Northwestern Minnesota and he had been in contact, direct contact with Nuzo. Have you ever heard where he was actually? I don't remember, but I do remember going to federal court with him because he was being brought up on perjury charges. Right. And he was saying he was afraid for his life. Well, I was in that courtroom and I wanted to speak. I was told I couldn't. Right. And I kept arguing, if he can speak and he's afraid for his life, why can't I speak? Well, I ended up getting up and speaking. And I told the judge, that I'm the one hanging posters all over the city, towns and that to get Susan's story out there. So who do you think is in more danger, him or I? He got 14 months. I was so happy. And his father said to me, how could you do that to my son? I said, how can your son let that happen to my daughter? Oh my Lord, I can't believe such a a conversation, my Lord. Has uh, Nuzo's whereabouts on September 1492, has he ever accounted for where he was? He might have with the police, of course, never with me. But, you know, he does not live far from me. Right. He lives very close. And he's still in this area. Unbelievable. 
had the police ever relayed to you the call that took Susan out of the airport that day? I know she was going to get some lunch or dinner. It was a midnight shift, correct? Yes. And she was going out to get dinner or lunch for the shift. But do you know if she was lured out or was that her own doing? No, that's why I questioned. Someone made a call to her. I would believe she'd have to know who it was or someone of, and not be afraid to meet them. And she went out to meet them and was going to pick up some sandwiches. She was going to roast beef place in Beachmont. Never got there. Right. But that was my question all the time. Why did you not trace that phone call? Right. And I was told time and time again in the first 12 years, it could never be traced. And that was a lie. Right. Because until Lieutenant Joseph Flaherty told me, it could have been traced at least up to six months. Oh, my Lord. It just seems to be so many missed opportunities in this case. Well, my feeling is, and until it's proven me, from the beginning, the investigation was not done correctly. And from the few things I told you about the harassment not being lessened, I have my questions about how much law enforcement was involved in this at the beginning. Right. Right. I know you can't get too much into detail on that. No. I wish you could, and I hope one day you will be able to. When Susan went missing, how were you originally notified, and what did they tell you? Well, what happened it was on a Monday, and I had gone to work, and usually Susan and I pass each other coming and going. Right. My daughter, Deborah, got a call from the other co-supervisor on the ramp asking if Susan was home. My daughter, Debbie, said, no, but I expect her at any time. He hung up. A few seconds later, called back and said, I think you better report Susan missing. She was not at work yesterday or today. Now, she was supposed to be at a baby shower for his wife that Sunday night. They knew she was invited, and yet nobody reported her even Sunday night. Really? At that time, my daughter called me at work. I worked right down the street. I went to the Saugus police station. I went in. The female police officer asked me what she could do for me. I said, I'm here to report my daughter missing. The phone rang. She excused herself. She turned around and came back, and she said, Mrs. Taraskowitz, they found Susan. And I thought, well, her car must have broke down. Something happened. Then she told me I needed to go into the chief of police officer, who we knew well because we lived in Saugus for 32 years. I went in. I sat down. He said, Marlene, we use on first name basis. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, Susan was found murdered. I, I just didn't know where to go from that. He told me to call my husband. I did. I just said to my husband, we found Susan. And I hung up. And then he said, I think you need to call him back. Then I said to him, well, I need to identify her. He said, no, she's been identified. And I go, who identified my daughter? I am the one that knows her better than anyone. And he told me about the trooper who did, which I got very upset with, because this was the trooper that was supposed to help her. Right. 
At that point, they drove me home. I did not see anybody until, you know, law enforcement until around seven at night when a lieutenant and another detective came. And what they said to us was, you know, after 72 hours, usually a murder isn't solved. And we suggest you should get counseling because marriages don't survive either. My Lord. What a strange thing to say. Very strange. Emily, during my research, I forget who said this or what, what publication it was in, but one of the publications indicated that somebody Susan worked with said she wasn't herself that night. And she was a little concerned about it, but she went out to get lunch and thought maybe she'd talk to her about it, you know, when she returned. Have you heard anything like that? Well, I did hear that a long time ago. And there was a story that we did when a few co-workers and one of the close co-workers, Debbie Mazikis, knew more about what was happening with Susan than anyone. And I think she spoke to the police more than anyone and Whatever she told them helped them out on that situation. Great, great. I'm glad there's somebody, at least there's, there's a few people at Northwest who have some type of conscience on this. I hope so. It's not too late. It's 28 years. Murders that have been solved after 40. Please right. come forth. Tell no matter how small you think it is. Tell what you know. It might be just that one little thing of all that they have now that will trigger this investigation to close and we'll get justice for Susan. Right. So in terms of the investigation, Susan never made it to the roast beef place. Is that correct? No, she didn't. When they found her, she had the note with what the co-workers wanted and all the money. Jeez. So you would have to think that somebody had called her and said, Susan's leaving to go to pick up sandwiches. Absolutely. I do think, did they confront Susan, not meaning to kill her, but, you know, Susan wasn't one that if you started saying things to her, she's just going to stand there and take it. She might have verbally talked back. Right. It's a possibility they hit her and thought they killed her and they didn't and proceeded. I don't know. Right. But if that's what happened, come forth. Or whoever was there and sorry, come forth and say it wasn't meant to be. But don't let it go on like this. Right. I don't know how somebody could keep this within them for so very long. You say Mr. Brooks did like 16 months or something like that for the perjury lying to the FBI, correct? Correct. Nuzo was convicted in the credit card scam with a group of other people. How much time did he end up doing for the credit card? I believe he got three years and had to pay back a certain amount of money. The whole credit card scam was $7.5 million that they got. And there was one fellow that was spending like $20,000 a week just on clothes. Unbelievable. So three years for a $7.5 million score. Jeez. From what I understand, you only can get what they can prove. Right. So No, I understand. But, jeez, I mean, that if somebody said, Barry, you could have $7 million here and you have to do three years in prison, as a younger man, I might have taken that. But 
<laughs> I mean, the murder thing's a whole different thing, but three years in prison doesn't discourage anybody from replicating this. Nobody has a right to take anyone's life. Absolutely. Even if people like me who lost somebody through murder and say, I'm going to get rid it wouldn't do me any good. I would be leaving my family. Nobody has the right to take anyone's life. Right. Especially a 27-year-old girl that did nothing wrong, that they thought she was wrong. She never worked with the FBI. She was never an informant, never knew anything about it. Right. She only thought she was the first female supervisor, and they didn't want her. Right. And I think it stemmed from that harassment. They didn't want her. And then this credit card thing, they start getting paranoid that somebody's talking to the police. It wasn't Susan. I don't think people know that. Susan wasn't even aware of what was going on, correct? No, she was not. She never talked to the FBI. She was not an informant. They proved that and told us that. There was nothing that she knew about at the time. And I think in in my previous podcast episode on this, I call these guys a junior mafia. Is that what you get from them? Because I see all these hijinks with harassing people and stealing things. I always called them wannabes, right. cowards, and thought they were going to be, all of a sudden become big shots. Right. There's a little bit uh, on the North Shore. There's some on the South Shore too, but it seems like these guys were drinking on the job, gambling on the job, not only harassing, what people don't seem to understand is they were fighting people. And Susan, at one time, it had to intervene because Luzo was beating up two new arrivals to our country who were working with them. Is that correct? Well, Joe Nuzzo was beating, from what I understand, beating up on a co-worker. And Susan intervened. And from what I know... He got fired and the union brought him back. And of course, that was the downfall with him and Susan, because, of course, right then and there, he wanted to get rid of her and do something to her. Right. I'm sure. I don't understand this. Why don't you just go to work, do your job? But it it seems like they were sort of in love with this type of quasi gangster mentality in Northwest. I believe so, too. Yeah. It's just so very sad. You you wonder if Northwest had taken care of this, would it have ended before Susan got hurt? I think if they listened to her, they could have solved the problem with the harassment. And through that, they might have learned quicker what was going on. But they did nothing for her. How many times do you have to go to management or your union and ask for help when you're being harassed. It shouldn't happen like that. I know. I got to tell you, if I was CEO or even some type of supervisor over there, I would have fired them all. I would have fired them all. And you can fight for your job back, but I'm going to fire you. I feel sorry for the good people who lost their job there. But I said that I always felt because of this, they were going to go under. And they did. Yeah, they did. They were kind of kowtowing to the union there when they needed a much harder line. Right. Man, this case is such a heartbreaker because I remember seeing the billboards you guys had posted on the North Shore and around the airport, and I thought that was genius. Did that develop any tips, the billboards? 
Yeah, it did. And to this day, when I talk about Susan, and I talk about her a lot if I have to, to keep her story out there. And if they say, well, I'm not sure, I'll say it's the girl on the billboard with the flowers. Right. Because that to me is Susan's signature. Yes. And they remember right away who that is. Absolutely. Well, good move doing that. That was a stroke of genius. Can you tell me one story? It kind of brings a tear to my eye. Tell me about Snoopy. Well, in February of 92, Susan went to San Francisco. She flew there. It took her 12 hours to meet Charles Schultz. When she got there, it wasn't open. So she sat outside because she had no money to go any further. (laughs) And they found out she was out there. They came out and they told us she'd have to come back. And she said, that's all right. I'll sit here. At that point, they knew apparently she couldn't afford to take a cab anywhere. (laughs) Charles Schultz told them to bring her in. He told her that he couldn't interview her or talk with her personally, but he would be happy to have her in the audience. He also told the audience about how she flew there. (laughs) When Susan was found murdered, that night I kept saying, what can I give her that would be the most important thing to her? I mean, she loved her family and all, but something you want to give them that's special. She was a Snoopy collector. She has over thousands of them. And I said to the secretary, I would love to put Snoopy on her stone. And she said she would check with him. Well, the next day, he called me back. And he said, Mrs. Teraskowitz, I would be happy to do that. Which Snoopy did she like? I said, she had so many, I don't know what her favorite was. He drew Snoopy holding a rose. He took the picture and sent it to us. And it says, thank you to Marlene and Ron for letting us be Snoopy and I to be part of your family. We appreciate sharing memories with you. And we have that framed. And I will never forget that. And I think that as happy as, you know, she would be to know that. Right. That, that Snoopy's right there with her. That's a great story. Marlene, I want to thank you for coming on today. When this case gets solved, and I know it will, will you come back on Boston Confidential? I certainly will. And I want to thank you so much for doing this and keeping it out there for us because I know it will be solved. I said from the beginning, it can be solved. But again, to everyone, please, no matter what you think, any little thing will help. And there is a $250,000 reward out there. So come forth. Bring us the justice we need for Susan, because you're going to be hearing me till the day it is solved. Right. All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the interview. Now, Marlene Taraskowitz is a firecracker, and she's a fighter. She's going to keep fighting. And I'm going to ask you all to fight with her. I want you to share this episode. The podcast has blown up. The last Susan Traskowitz episode one really blew up on the North Shore. People are interested in this case. It can be solved. There was a grand jury convened as recently as two years ago. They're working this case. There's a quarter million dollars at stake that should loosen some lips. So do me a favor, share this episode, get the information out there, 
and let's give this family some justice. It's about time, isn't it? All right. Do me a favor. If you like the podcast, give us a good review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to leave you there, guys, and we'll be on to the next one. Talk to you soon.